This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where their Las Vegas Review Journal talks about off-season hockey because we are here back on a normal schedule to go through some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Golden Knights 2019-20 season and how uh, that might you know, give us some clues as to what's going to happen in the uh, 2021 season or just 21 season, depending on how things ultimately shake out, because there's still a lot more questions than answers when it comes to the next NHL season. I, of course, am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, and joining me on the line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Uh, Dave, how you doing? All right. Well, refreshed, got some sleep uh, the last few days after after the postseason. Caught up on all that, but I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't know about you, but it feels like we were, you know, like back in March. It's kind of got that feeling again of off season and sort of what's going on here and all that. But I guess there's a little more, I guess, definition to it now. It's not, there's not a mystery of are they going to complete the Stanley Cup and all that, but I don't know. Well, it's a, it's kind of a weird purgatory, it feels like. It definitely is, especially because we've already, as you said, kind of been through this once before. Now, there was a little more uncertainty, but, you know, uh, a lot of uh, hashtag off-season content that we are going to have prepared, we already kind of had a blow-through uh, in March and April when we didn't know what was going on. So it, it's a little interesting trying to come up with stuff to uh, think right and talk about right now. But there are a lot of interesting things coming on the horizon for the Knights and the NHL. And we're going to get into some of that today. But uh, like I said, mainly it's going to be kind of going through some of interesting topics from the night season and postseason and what we think those might say about the team's future. Some quick reminders before we get going. The Golden Edge podcast is presented by v- Visa, Indeed, and Favorshot, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out ReviewJournal.com for all our great content. There, of course, is a ton of Raiders content. 
on there right now if you're someone that follows the NFL or wants to get more into the NFL now that the Golden Knights season is over. They had a really nice win on Monday Night Football last night against the Saints, so all that stuff is there as well. Uh, You don't have to pay extra for it if you want to read the Raider stuff. It all costs the same. And, of course, uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to this podcast, uh, or do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. We would appreciate it, and it helps people find us. Um, So some quick updates before we get going, as I kind of hinted at already, there is some stuff on the horizon for the Knights and the rest of the league. The draft is October 6th and 7th. For those uh, that were not aware, the Golden Knights will be picking 29th in the first round because the New York Islanders lost the Eastern Conference Finals. So that became official since the last time we talked to you guys. Uh, Free agency starts October 9th, so two days after the last day of the draft. Um, And for those wondering, there's still no goaltender movement for the Golden Knights. Nothing has happened to change their net minder situation. Now, who knows? This podcast could be extremely outdated in, you know, a couple days. Who's to say? We don't know when stuff is potentially coming down the pike there. But it could happen uh, at any point now. And also, the Stanley Cup final is ongoing. And uh, that is 1-1 between the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Dave, have you checked out uh, the first two games of that series? I have. It's kind of interesting. It, it, in a way, it feels a little like it went similar to the night series. You know, Dallas, I think, caught a caught Tampa a little bit. You know, kind of in a bad spot on the schedule. I guess maybe you could say in game one, felt like Tampa kind of asserted itself a little bit more in game two. So now it's down to a five game series. It's kind of a uh, kind of fun so far. No, I've been enjoying it too. Um, I think the clash of styles has been really interesting. And I also like the fight that uh, both teams are showing, which of course you expect in the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, Tampa gets down early in game one. Uh, Storms back. I think they outshot the Stars like 22 to 3 in the third period of game one or something ridiculous like that. And then uh, last night, because uh, we're recording this on Tuesday the 22nd, and game two was Monday the 21st, uh, Tampa goes up 3 nothing in the first period, and then the Stars kind of have a real good pushback in the second and third. They make it 3-2, can't find the third goal to ultimately tie it up, but they definitely made the Lightning sweat after I thought uh, that was just going to be a cakewalk early on. I had, I was, you know, dual screening, that and Monday Night Football, and I was like, well, clearly I'm just watching football tonight after that first period, but, uh, you know, Dallas kept it interesting, and I never uh, turned off the game because they just kept hanging in there. I was going to say, I kind of flipped back and forth, too, and I missed uh, a lot of that second period push Um, for the same reason. I kind of figured it was over and like, oh, okay, you know, Tampa's got this. It's going to be a lot like game two. Hudobin's going to get pulled, and, you know, on we go. But, yeah, credit to Dallas. I mean, I guess if there's one thing the Stars have proven in this in this postseason is no lead is uh, too big for them to overcome. So kudos on them. That is definitely true. And it's funny talking about the stars because they of course are the ones who ended the golden Knights 2019, 20 season. They defeated them in the Western conference final in five games. So now since we are in kind of recapping the season mode for the golden Knights, because it is indeed over, uh, I thought, like I said, something kind of fun and interesting to do would be to go through kind of the good, bad, and the ugly that was this past year. Now, obviously, we're going to kind of give equal weight to a lot of these things, but overall, 
it was more good than bad. I mean, the Golden Knights, of course, reached a conference final for the second time in three years. I mean, that's pretty good. They already have more playoff series wins in their franchise history than the Arizona Coyotes, the Minnesota Wild, the Florida Panthers, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, you know, things are not that bad for the Golden Knights. Even their problems, which we will, of course, discuss and get into, are really first world problems that a lot of other NHL teams would love to have on their hands. Uh, but still, there was a lot of low things Low moments stuck out. One of them, which we're not going to rehash entirely, is the postseason scoring. We've gone through a ton of numbers on previous episodes of this podcast, but suffice to say, they were bad the last eight games at scoring goals. And that is the main reason that we are having an offseason kind of podcast right now, rather than talking about them in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, The second thing to say about What uh, the ugly was this past season uh, was an agent stirring up, quote unquote, stuff or outside noise on Twitter. Uh, Once again, I don't necessarily want to relitigate the entire kind of postseason goaltending situation for the Golden Knights. Uh, I've certainly said my piece before that I don't think anyone was necessarily in the wrong from their perspective. And I can understand all perspectives in terms of what happened with Robin Leonard kind of usurping the number one goaltender job from Marc-Andre Fleury. But the ultimate bottom line is, Dave, it just does not look good for this franchise when you have an agent kind of publicly grousing about his client's playing time on Twitter. And then you have to have a press conference from Marc-Andre Fleury to address it. I mean, it's just not what you want. No. It, and I think, you know, maybe uh, for someone like me who, who's tried to remind folks, oh, they're a young franchise. They're in their third year. Like maybe all of this just shows, no, they're, they've grown up faster than, than maybe I want to give them credit for. Cause you know, this is the type of stuff that, you know, a lot of franchises have gone through in terms of, you know, a face of the franchise potentially moving on or, you know, some kind of rift between, you know, a player, a coach, the front office. Like, it's not like the first time that's ever happened, but it's kind of, it's like the first time around here. So it's interesting to have seen it played out. And I guess more than anything, and, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, last week spoke to some students at UNLV and, um, you know, kind of talked to them a little bit, you know, about what I do and the goaltending obviously came up and you know one of the things I commented on was just how I feel like this tweet and everything that's happened in this postseason with the goaltenders if and when Marc-Andre Fleury moves on is going to be just a seminal moment in this franchise I mean five years 10 years 20 years from now depending on if they win a cup what happens with Leonard what happens with Fleury you know whatever it might be everybody's going to go back to and point to that moment that that tweet you know, Alan Walsh hit send and, and that, that tweet went up because, you know, at the time it obviously was a big deal and it was like, Whoa, I can't believe he's doing this, but it's really turned out. And if it turns out to be, you know, the impetus for Marc-Andre Fleury's departure, it's going to be, you know, it's a seminal moment in this franchise's history for sure. Yeah. It's one that we're for sure going to be talking about for years to come. Uh, because it's just a huge fork in the road, as you were kind of talking about. Um, but I did indeed place that in kind of the ugly category. 
along with the postseason scoring. Uh, next, to you know, go back to something more positive. Let's talk about the good. Uh, one thing that I thought for sure that the Golden Knights should feel good about coming out of this season, if not downright ecstatic, is that Shea Theodore looks like a number one defenseman. Uh, he led the Knights in postseason scoring. He's actually still ranked seventh overall in the playoffs with 19 points as of yesterday. So I did not update that after game two. But as of yesterday, he was still seventh overall in the playoffs in scoring. Um, and then I did some you know, extensive research because I have a lot of free time on my hands right now. And I might write about this later. Uh, 12 of the past 14 Stanley Cup champions since the salary cap was put in place with the lockout and everything have had a number one defenseman that is placed in the top five of the Norris voting at least once in their career. So basically, to win a Stanley Cup in the salary cap era, you need a guy who's a Norris Trophy contender. Uh, the only exceptions were the 2006 Hurricanes, who won the Cup literally the year after the lockout, and the 2017 Penguins, who had that Norris-caliber guy in Chris Letang. He was just hurt that postseason. Uh, Shea Theodore, for those who are curious, finished six in the Norris Trophy voting this year. So he's not quite in the top five range, but he's certainly getting close. And I would, you know, anticipate if he has a good of a season next year as he did this year, he's going to find his way on to uh, more ballots. So overall, Dave, uh, do you think there was a bigger development for this team's kind of short and long term future? than the fact that they might now have a bona fide number one defenseman on their hands? No, probably not. I was trying to think about this. I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, I know. But the only thing I think maybe that comes close is Zach Whitecloud and just the effect that he had on on the defense. But overall, no. I mean, for all of the reasons that you pointed out and the importance of, of having a number one defenseman, what it sort of means. And, and I think maybe what it means for the front office and how they view all of a sudden their defense core, maybe it, you know, it changes their view from say two years ago when all of a sudden they were trying to get Eric Carlson and felt like they needed to upgrade, you know, that, that within their own organization, that Shea Theodore develops into it, they can add a piece like Alec Martinez, not necessarily break the bank and kind of do it internally. I mean, I'm always a fan of, you know, build from within. That's essentially what they've done here. Uh, and they signed them, you know, they signed them to a long-term deal. It's a, it's a team friendly deal. So all of those sorts of things, you know, kind of, kind of falling into place for them. And then here's the other thing too. I feel like there's still one more, maybe, maybe click, maybe gear, um, maybe notch up that Shea Theodore can take in terms of scoring, in terms of his playing his own zone is, you know, as much of a jump as he took this year. And, you know, kudos on, on fellow voters for recognizing it. Um, I have to say, I was a little surprised to see that he was sixth, not to say that he wasn't deserving because he is, but just that, you know, the recognition has kind of spread, I guess, uh, you know, across the, the nation and, and through Canada as well within the media that people are finding out about Shea Theodore, know about him. So in that sense, I mean, he's on the cusp and, and yeah, it, it, it is a huge development uh, for the night short-term and long-term, like you said, Ben. Yeah, he finished. He was kind of a distant six. He was definitely a, a fair amount behind the top five vote-getters. And for those who missed that, uh, Nashville's Roman Yossi 
won the Norris. Then the rest of the top five are Washington's John Carlson, Tampa Bay's Victor Hedman, uh, St. Louis's Alex Petrangelo, who is, uh, seems like he's going to hit unrestricted free agency because there have been now reports that talks have broken off between him and the Blues. Um, and then fifth place was Carolina's Jacob Slavin. And Theodore, like I said, finished a good portion behind the voting, but I still think it spoke uh, very highly of him that he did as well as he did. Because as you mentioned, Dave, I was kind of expecting him to get a bump next year just because of how well he played in the postseason. I mean, I'm going to put this in air quotes, but he only had 46 points during the regular season. I mean, he came on really strong uh, the final months of the season because I think DeBoer gave him a little bit more freedom. And then also from a very you know obvious point of view, I think he took a while to get up to speed this year. Obviously, it's easy to forget, but he was you know diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Uh, just a year plus ago and had surgery and got to training camp late. And so he did not start the season at a hundred percent. And given all that, it's remarkable what he was able to achieve. Uh, But I think from that standpoint, the fact that he was six and the, you know, there's still obviously, as you said, some ways for him to go. I mean, if he even comes close to being the point per game guy that he was in the playoffs in the regular season, I mean, he is going to just fly up, some ballots and it'll be really interesting to watch him continue to develop there. Uh, The next thing that I thought was definitely good for the golden Knights in terms of not just something they could be excited about in the postseason, but going forward is that Alex Tuck can score on the third line. I mean, that was a huge question mark heading into the postseason. Not just was Alex Tuck, going to be healthy basically because of course he battled injuries all throughout this regular season but was he going to be able to produce on the bottom six because we saw ever since the team acquired mark stone and bumped tuck down to the third line he just wasn't producing the same way he was uh, early on last season Uh, since the mark stone trade tuck has 12 goals in 61 regular season games Uh, this postseason He had eight goals in 20 games. It just was very obvious that he has way more chemistry with guys like Nicholas Waugh, Nick Cousins, Chandler Stevenson than he did with some of his previous third line line linemates. And if he could produce like that in the regular season next year, Dave, it would just be a massive development for the Knights depth. It would. I guess maybe my question coming back is, is his development enable you to move somebody in the top six and then bump him up? Did he show that, you know, he can play in that role? I don't know. Maybe it makes somebody expendable going forward because you have Alex Tuck, you know, back in form, back to the way he was playing, you know, in his second year, like you mentioned before the Mark Stone trade. All that being said, if it works out and he's on your third line and he's playing that way, then yeah, I mean, all for all the reasons we've talked about kind of, you know, the, the black hole that the third line's been several times. And, and if they're able to get that and all of a sudden you have a top nine instead of a top six and you're even deeper, because one of the things I think maybe that we learn about this team is that it's not a top heavy team that they try to win with depth. I think Kelly McCrimmon mentioned that as what he feels is, is a strength of this team. I know Pete DeBoer has mentioned that in terms of what he feels, you know, is this team's strength. And all of a sudden, if you have a third line that's producing and scoring with an Alex Tuck, 
you know, down there causing problems, then it makes it, you know, makes you that much deeper. It, it, it lessens maybe the need for going out and getting a high end guy up front or something like that. You make up for it in other ways and you make up for it with your depth. And if Alex Tuck is all of a sudden a 20 goal scorer again on your third line, and maybe you're able to supplement that a little bit in free agency or, or through a trade, whatever they, they maybe want to do this off season as they maneuver, it, it, yeah, it would be huge for this team going forward because, you know, as we've mentioned, they haven't had a third line in the regular season that's con- consistently produced, you know, for three seasons, really. Yeah, you called it a black hole, and that's definitely not uh, inaccurate. Uh, something I looked up today in the regular season, the Gold Knights were outscored 25 to 15 with Alex Tuck on the ice at five on five. Uh, so basically, they were minus 10 with them out there at five on five uh, in the regular season. If they can get that back to even, and he, he was actually a plus three at five on five in the playoffs. I mean, that is a just massive swing in terms of uh, the team's fortunes potentially, and could make them an even tougher out than they already are in the regular season. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business. And look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless Visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hires you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Uh, the last, you know, good thing that I want to talk about as far as what happened to the Knights in the regular season and postseason. And like I said before, there are a ton of other things that we could get into here, but I'm trying to narrow it down and not make this, you know, a, a three hour podcast is uh, basically every edition was solid. Um, going through the list, the Knights throughout this year uh, brought in uh, Patrick Brown, Nicholas Waugh, Chandler Stevenson, Alec Martinez. Uh, Nick Cousins and Robin Leonard from outside the organization. 
Um, out of all those guys, you would probably say, obviously, Patrick Brown had the least impact, but he's still a guy that scored a playoff goal for you. So I would consider that not a bad hit rate at all. And then, you know, you brought up his name, Dave. You also can include a guy like Zach Whitecloud in that, who was not an outside addition, but a guy you promoted from within and, you know, played really well for you down the stretch. So they had a bunch of kind of complementary pieces come in during this season that rounded this roster out into one that was just really strong and deep top to bottom. So only cause I love like scouting and all of that stuff. Like I'm so fascinated as to why these scouts are so good. <laughs> like whatever this crew that Kelly McCrimmon and, and George McPhee, Bob Lowe's and Von Carpen and like all of them and that whole staff, like they don't miss. I think the only miss that I can think of is Tomas Tatar. And I'm not even sure why that happened. I don't know if that was a locker room chemistry thing. If it was just an on ice, you know, they never really found a spot, but, it, but like you mentioned, it seems like everybody that they, that they go after has a little bit more than they showed at the previous team. And they just, they get every ounce of, of juice out of the squeeze with these guys, you know? I mean, I think Nick Cousins tailed off a little bit in the postseason. I think you could probably point to that being why he was a healthy scratch in, you know, almost a handful of those games uh, before a couple injuries necess- necessitated him, you know, going back in the lineup, but you know, Chandler Stevenson, Alec Martinez, like the, the yeah, and, and then even in the draft too, like what they found in, you know, the fifth rounds, the third rounds later in the, in the first round, I guess with, you know, Peyton Krebs in the middle of it, uh, they've done a fantastic job. I mean, a lot of it, you know, we see on the front end and, you know, the signings get a lot of attention and the free agency, but the behind the scenes work and just, you know, obviously going back to the expansion draft, but since then in some of the trades that they've done, even somebody like Ryan Carpenter to pick him up off the waiver wire and get what they got out of Ryan Carpenter for, you know, a season and a half, that was a hit as well. So, I mean, I guess, you know, kudos to the scouting staff really with all this, because they're the ones I think behind the scenes who are, you know, kind of recommending and and sort of picking and choosing these guys. And then, and then the, you know, the front office is then going after them, sealing the deal. And then the coaches are are putting the team together on the ice. Yeah, totally. I don't uh, have the quote in front of me, but I know that McCrimmon mentioned that in terms of Alec Martinez, that was a guy that their pro scouting staff just loved that they saw him play in Los Angeles, you know, obviously thought that the Knights would be able to kind of get more out of him than the Kings were. And, you know, give him credit. They were absolutely right. I mean, it seemed like Martinez, I believe he only had one goal uh, coming into the, the Knights organization before and he had scored that actually against the Knights for the Kings. And then he scores eight points in 10 games after the trade. Now, I don't think that type of production is obviously what should be expected going forward. It's certainly not what he put together in the playoffs. But he was a huge contributor to this team. And McCrimmon made sure to kind of give him a shout as a guy who kind of helped, uh, you know, encourage Shea Theodore's breakout, uh, so to speak. He was a guy who nudged that along. So it has been impressive to see, you know, what they've been able to do with a lot of these guys that have been brought in. 
Uh, so there was the good. Now we're going to shift gears to the bad and some things that, you know, obviously are still question marks for this team moving forward. Uh, the, one of the first ones that uh, comes to mind for me was you don't know what Cody Glass is right now. And I think that's got to be disappointing uh, for the organization after they they open the season with him. He scores in his night's debut, which is, you know, this obvious dream storyline of, you know, the team's first ever draft pick scores in his debut. He's with the big club to start the season. But when the season is over, I still feel like there's a lot uh, left to uncover about Cody Glass's game. And some of that is just bad luck in terms of obviously he had injuries that limited him to uh, 39 games. And some of that was just the, the organization and how they handled him. And he played a lot of right wing, which was just clearly not a natural fit for him and did not showcase a lot of his strengths. And it's put them in an interesting spot because we've mentioned on the last couple podcasts, Dave, that one thing that the Knights could really use was kind of a more of a creative uh, force in the middle, especially at center. You know, William Carlson and Paul Stasny are both very good centers, but are, you know, those guys that are going to really carve up space and make a key pass to unlock something in your offense, you know? That's something the team could definitely use more of. And maybe your, you know, number six overall pick from 2017 would be the guy to do it. But I just don't know, you know, how to have any sort of expectations for Glass next year, given the fact that he was played out of position and given the fact that he was, uh, you know, hurt so often. I was going to say, yeah, that he's coming off what, you know, I, I guess we can probably presume is is like an ACL injury based on, you know, the fact that he had season ending surgery and kind of the timetable that they put him on in terms of a return. So all that I think factors in, I mean, you know, we've talked about this and I've been pretty open that I'm always going to be the person that preaches patience with prospects and especially the way the Knights draft, you know, they don't draft guys that are physically kind of ready right there. They're, they draft the, you know, kind of, kind of this, this projectable, you know, type of player. We always hear that in the, you know, the combines and, and stuff like that, you know, meaning they're still filling out and they're still growing and maturing and all those sorts of things. And they're not expected to be there, you know, within two, three years right away. Um, I mean, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try to stall here as I do this and, and look up uh, the 2017 NHL draft. But I mean, obviously like the top end of that draft, you know, one, two, three, four, and five, are all in the NHL making an impact. So it's really easy to kind of like, you know, pick on that and say, Oh, well, Cody last not, but like, if you go behind it, it's Leah Sanderson, Casey Middlestat, Michael Rasmussen, Owen Tippett, Gabriel Velarde, Martin Nekish, Nick Suzuki. You got to get down to like 12 or 13 with Nekish Suzuki, you know, those types of guys for anybody that's made a, made a real impact on the NHL. So it's not like, Cody Glass is behind the curve in that regard. And, and I don't want to like say his development is stunted and, and all those sorts of things. But, but yeah, I think it's a big ask to maybe go right into the top six of a Stanley cup contending team at, you know, what 21 years old and say, okay, we need a 50 point, you know, season out of you go do it. That might be a little bit much to ask. And 
I think the other thing too, maybe to bring up with all this too, coinciding, I guess with, with Cody glass is how far along is Peyton Krebs and his experience in the bubble and with that taxi squad and as a black ace and how close is he and, and where is he in his development curve, maybe in relation to Cody glass and maybe do we have to start talking about them, you know, kind of in conjuncture and in, in terms of, you know, can one of them, you know, break through, make this team, you know, because here's the other thing too, obviously Peyton Krebs situation is a little different for this year. He can't go to the AHL. So he's NHL or back to juniors. But if Cody glass, because the golden Knights feel like they're strong down the middle, if he has to go to the AHL and dominate for a year, and and maybe come up and and you know have a cup of coffee like that's not a bad thing and i don't i think anybody that tries to make that into a bad thing is doing a disservice so i think it's just going to depend on what the knights do in the off season how are they viewing their center spot where are they at with all that you know do they re-sign chandler stevenson do they view him you know, in there, what happens with Stasny or, or anybody else in there, Nick Waugh. So there's a lot of questions and, and we'll just kind of see how it filters out. But I guess to say, yeah, your original question, like, you know, is it a lot to ask Cody glass to jump right into a top six next year and, and play with guys and, and continue to produce for a Stanley cup contender? It might be a little bit too soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I do agree with you that watching, how both of those guys, Glass and Krebs, kind of progress next year and what level they do it at will be fascinating. And I think the key for the Golden Knights will be, you know, make the decision that you think will get both of those guys kind of as close to ready as they possibly can be by the end of next season, whenever that is. So as you kind of touched on, Dave, if that means Cody Glass has to be, you know, a number one center for a year in the AHL and you know, get 20 minutes a night, play in all situations and really, you know, try to grow that way and then jump up to the NHL maybe late in the season. That's fine. The key is just to keep, you know, him on an upward trajectory after obviously, like I said, for reasons that were not entirely his fault, uh, he didn't quite have the same kind of upward curve this past season. Um, and then the final thing that we'll point out in terms of the bad, and this is the most obvious one, which is why we saved it for last, is that the goaltending situation still has a lot of questions. And by this, I don't even just mean the the Flurry Leonard dynamic, which we talked a lot about last week uh, on the podcast, and it's still obviously the biggest question mark for the Knights in the offseason. But the Knights have to decide not just who's going to be their starter between Flurry and Leonard, but if one of them goes, which is very likely, they have to decide then on a potential either 1B or 2 to back up either Flurry or Leonard, most likely Leonard, we would assume. Uh, just for context, the Knights are 17, 19, and 5 the last two seasons in non-Flurry and Leonard starts. Basically, when either Flurry or Leonard start in the regular season, the Knights are a 103-point team. When those two guys do not start, the last two seasons, the Knights have been a 78-point team team and that would not have even been good enough to get them in the bubbles this year in terms of points percentage they would have been one of the seven teams on the outside looking in so that's how just crazy the drop-off has been between their kind of starters and number one guys and their backups which mostly has been Malcolm Subban but there's been other guys kind of sprinkled in as well 
So if the Knights want to, you know, contend for a president's trophy at some point, or, you know, barring that at least kind of contend for the number one seed in the Western Conference for, for real this time, instead of, you know, kind of backdooring their way to the number one seed via that round robin, they need a better kind of plan B, or like I said, a, you know, plan one B in net. You know, there's free agent options in uh, Cam Talbot, who actually might get some some pretty good offers, so he might be tricky, but there's Mike Smith, there's Aaron Dell, and of course, in the AHL last year, there's Oscar Dansk, who they uh, re-signed. He had about a, a two and a half goals against average in the AHL for the Chicago Wolves, um, but that's something that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on, Dave. Not just, you know, who the guy that they ultimately go with is, if they do de- end up having that giant fork in the road moment and parting ways with Marc-Andre Fleury, but who they're going to get kind of behind Robin Leonard as well if he's the guy, because if they do just call up Oscar Dansk, it's going to feel, you know, a lot to me at least, like they didn't really go anywhere ultimately. You went from having kind of a clear number one in Marc-Andre Fleury and a shaky backup in Malcolm Subban to essentially the same thing with Robin Leonard and a new guy, unless Oscar Downs proves me wrong and has a great year next year. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of this in terms of I'm terrible at math. So you're going to have to help me because your stats are awesome and I could barely add two plus two, but you know, okay. Depending on if the Knights have to retain salary or whatever and, and cap hit on Marc-Andre Fleury. So if 7 million goes out and supposedly, according to the reports, Robin Leonard is going to be signed for five. So you're plus two right there. If that happens, if, and potentially like, I mean, there's any number of scenarios that could then happen in terms of if, if Fleury goes in a trade, maybe, maybe he goes somewhere where you get somebody coming back and, you know, depending on what they were paying last year. I don't remember. What were they paying Subban last year? Um, Not like a million, was, uh, something like that. So, I think it was less Okay, than so let's just say hypothetically they're around 8 million last year net in, in goal. I mean, you could pay Leonard five. You could get, you know, somebody for two, two and a half. That's a real solid backup and, and still be like plus 500,000-ish, you know, on the – on the toll. So, so I think there's ways to kind of do it and upgrade and still not necessarily pay out the, out the end for it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see one, I think how the flurry stuff works out and then how that handcuffs them, if at all. And then two, what that allows them to do in terms of somebody either coming back or getting somebody in free agency, like you said, because, you know, a lot of this too is about getting somebody who's reliable and who can win and somebody who can play, but not necessarily threaten Robin Leonard's job because all this is still centered on Robin Leonard and the commitment that the Knights apparently are going to be making to him. So it's more about finding somebody really reliable for, like you said, you know, 25 ish up to maybe 30 games, you know, I guess depending, but you know, I don't think you want to get into it like a timeshare sort of situation with Robin Leonard. Like clearly he's going to get the majority of the starts and I think economically you can find somebody 
that's reliable that that upgrades it because like you said and i didn't realize it was that bad i mean it speaks to i guess what they felt about malcolm subin and like they said that he just wasn't reliable that they didn't have the confidence in him and you know the numbers for the last two years that you, you presented back that up so if they're able to upgrade there then yeah all of a sudden you're getting you know five six more wins in the regular season it puts you in a different spot in the standings it puts you in a different spot in the seedings and all of those sorts of things for the postseason. Yeah, and the kind of key things to keep in mind in terms of having a tandem in place is one, we don't know what the regular season is going to look like next year, but uh, Gary Bettman in a kind of video conference calls with reporters on Saturday uh, kind of said, like, I still want to play 82 games, but we're also still going to push the season back potentially to you know mid to late December to even early January. So if we're talking about still fitting in 82 games but moving the season back, to me that speaks to, oh man, they might really have to condense the schedule, which means that having a you know number two goaltender that you can trust might be more important than ever because you're not going to want to completely just wear down your starter playing him all the time, you know, in you know whatever four or five times a week potentially if they end up playing that many games. It might not be quite that much, but I mean, it seems pretty clear that they're going to play pretty regularly in the 2020-2021 season, whatever that ends up looking like. Um, and then also, you know, if for whatever reason they decide to keep Flurry and not re-sign Robin Leonard, well, Flurry is would be 36 when next season starts. So you don't want to overwork him. And, you know, Leonard, despite being a very good goaltender uh, for most of his career, he will be playing his 11th NHL season next year. He's played more than 50 games uh, twice in his career. He played uh, 59 games and then 53 games in his last two seasons with the Buffalo Sabres, which were the 2016-17 seasons and the 2016-17 or 2017-18 season. So he's not a guy that's you know played uh, a ton in his career, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but he certainly hasn't been kind of the workhorse that the Knights have relied on Mark Andre Fleury to be. So I think that just speaks to no matter which way they go with their starting goaltender situation, you know, each guy kind of does need someone to spell them semi-regularly, you know, as you said, Dave, probably at least 25, 30 games. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you could have a whole bunch of back-to-backs, um, you know, I mean, you know, knock on wood, a guy gets hurt. I mean, as you were, as you were talking about this, I was going to jokingly say something along the lines of like, you sound like you're leaving the door open for flurry to come back and maybe going that way with it, which I don't, you know, I mean, I think maybe there's a small crack in there. I don't want to totally, you know, say it's never going to happen. It, it seems unlikely, but I think clearly in Kelly McCrimmon maybe addresses a little bit in his end of season news conference is just exactly that. If it's going to be condensed, if you're going to have a lot of back-to-backs, goaltending is going to be a precious commodity, maybe like it's never been next season. And and having two guys, you know, is, is going to be even more valuable than it's ever been. And I don't know if that means an equal timeshare, you know, but you have, you're going to have to have somebody who can go in and play so that you're not driving your number one guy into the ground. And, you know, part of it, I think with Leonard, excuse me, is, is, you know, situation and, and all that, you know, part of it is that this is what, if he gets the chance to start 50 plus games, that's kind of what he's been wanting the last couple of years. He's splitting, 
you know, Long Island, as he calls it with the Islanders. And he kind of split in Chicago. So I think that that's what he wants is, is a chance to be the number one guy, you know, but all that being said, I think the schedule and everything that's going to happen next year is going to dictate a little bit different situation where reliable goaltending, whether it's coming from your, I guess, quote unquote starter or, you know, a one, a one B backup, whatever it might be, you're going to have to have it next year. No, for sure. And to make it clear, I do think it will be Robin Leonard. I, you know, I'm one of those people where I don't say it's over until it's over until it's official that uh, Mark Andre Fleury will not be this on this team next year. I got to at least leave the door open. I feel like in my comments uh, that he, you know, might be back, even though I think that's a very slim possibility at this point. Uh, we hope it's not a slim possibility that you guys continue to listen to us throughout the offseason. We're going to try to kind of get back on this regular schedule now that we're not doing post-game podcasts uh, after uh, every Golden Knights game. We will just be trying to tackle every single sort of offseason topic that comes up until uh, whenever the Golden Knights are able to play again. And once again, we still don't know necessarily when that will be. Uh, before we go, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Visa, Indeed, and Favorshot, drinkafavor.com. Uh, also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. Like I said, we've got all sorts of Golden Knights content on there right now, and we have a ton, just a ton of Raiders content on there as well for those of you that are now uh, going to spend your uh, sports watching days watching football and the NFL. Uh, also, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts. Due to our podcast, it helps people find us. Uh, for Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.